Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. go out there and be a little more proactive talking to investors and meeting investors and talking to them, especially if they're founders, by building relationships with them, genuine relationships, coffee, staying up with them, hanging out with them, not necessarily doing what they do, but also becoming a voice in a brand of yourself where you're able to talk to investors one-on-one, maybe through email. If you start learning how to communicate with people through email or text, it's going to be a lot easier to raise money. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast all the way from Miami, Florida, in the USA, Sel Busimi, who's the CEO and co-founding partner at HRN LLC, as well as the CEO and Chief Information Officer of Dandrew Partners Capital Management. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Sel. It's a real privilege to have you as my guest. Jürgen, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be your guest. Thank you very much for having me. Now, your work involves a lot of um, capital raising and um, financing businesses. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to learning a little bit more about that because that's an area that I'm not at all familiar with. And uh, one of the things that's fascinating, and I was reading a little bit in your book, is the money mindset that people bring into the area of financing and and, um, raising capital. So I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about that today. Before we get on to those topics, though, Sal, what's the impact you're making in the world? I think the impact is registered by the number number of lives that have been saved. You know, we actually had a company back in this past February, to be honest with you, Jurgen, that was the youngest team ever to receive FDA approval in the States for artificial defibrillation device that you can use with your cell phone. So if you know anyone, unfortunately, it's become the norm rather than the exception in several states, you know, in, in around the world, actually where a lot of athletes have been falling on the field, young athletes, kids, mm. actually, both professional and you know, from high school all the way through university and on. And we've been able to do that. And there's been a tremendous amount of impact made off of that because of lives saved. It's democratized artificial defibrillation so that every mother will have this in her purse. It's the size of your iPhone case, actually, that's charged by your um, iPhone. And you can actually use it to, um, you know, in real time to save the lives of people who might be facing cardiac arrest. And that's the first in this, in this class that we've seen 
Phillips hasn't had this technology since, you know, they've had, it's been around. It hasn't been improved for the past 30 years. So it's really interesting to see what happens, especially with the democratization and mobility of technology today to be able to help improve people's lives. And we do that on a, that's a very simplistic view of it using devices, but also through um, immunological therapeutics and um, treatments of diseases. We've made tremendous headways um, with the, with the, through the companies that we've invested into and allocated capital into through HRN, which are mostly life science companies and some technology companies too. Hmm. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, it, you know, there's a big impact there and it must be very gratifying to see, um, your contribution there that, that sort of translates into people building something that makes such a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really, I think everybody wants to, you know, change the world. They want to make an impact. And that's really what a lot of investors want to do, especially investors that are worth over $100 million. They're not really looking for the extra zero. What they're really looking for is what's the legacy. They're looking for an extra paragraph in their obituary, if you will, right? Well, you will be remembered for somebody who sat on the board, somebody who invested in this, somebody who pioneered that, somebody who financed these people who helped make, you know, a lot of these therapies and cures actually become um, you know, realistic. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, that sort of prompts an interesting question because reading through your book and I'm, I'm only partway through it about the mindset that wealthy individuals and you, you, you define wealthy individuals as those that are sort of hundred million plus, um, uh, net worth, I guess, uh, that, they bring a different mindset to most other people who who might be wealthy in terms of having, say, millions, um, but not at that level. Um, talk to us a little bit about that mindset of it's not about the money, it's about what impact I can have, it's about what legacy I can leave, what, what um, I can build and leave behind when I'm no longer here. Yeah, I think if you look at it and, you know, based on my experience and the research that I did for the book, and again, I've, you know, I came out of Goldman Sachs and, you know, I've worked with very wealthy people for almost my, my, my entire career, actually. And one of the things you learn is that the people who are worth less than 10 million, they're still looking for like the, they're still looking to get richer. They're still looking, they're mm-hmm. still, you know, envy still plays a role there. I think after a hundred million dollars, when you've done that, it becomes a different mindset where you're looking to see how can I prove the world for someone else? How can I leave my mark on the world? And how can I do it in a way that actually benefits, you know, humankind or, you know, space or whatever it is that, um, and you see this through various philanthropies at a very glorified level, but a lot of the families want to be much more direct with that. And that's why they make those direct investments into life science companies, because they feel as though that they have a lot more discretion. Um, To really get into it, Jurgen, is once you hit that, $100 $100 million mindset, it be, that $100 million market becomes a tradi- it becomes an incredibly different mindset. And that's when really the character and sort of people what we call evolved to be a little more um, established rather than still looking for the shiny object, if that makes sense. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, well, it's, I find it fascinating that um, certainly there's there are many wealthy people that you look at them and you say, well, they've got so much money compared to what I have. And yet 
they're so focused on making more money um and and what you're talking about is the next level where people have let go of that and are contributing back in some way whatever way they find meaningful i think wealth is relative right i mean it's it's you know what you think is wealthy is what somebody else but if i'm drawing a line (laughs) in the sand it's a hundred million dollars and you know that's the point where i think you're you know, you're you're deep into nine figures now, and you have a different reason for living. Yeah, well, th- that was the question I was going to ask: is is there a significance to that hundred million, or um, you know, wh- where does like is it a a values based thing to start with, or is is there some transition that happens when people get to a certain level? I think that there's a there's a um... You know, the word family office has been abused just as much as hedge fund has been abused in the early 2000s. And in order for me and my definition to have a real family office, you need to have at least $100 million in net worth because it costs you about a million dollars or 1% per year just to have people on staff to pay, to be able to do everything, to maintain everything. Just because you make an investment doesn't necessarily mean that the expense stops there. It takes a lot of time. And also there's a lot of follow-on investments that come with that too. And people who usually come to the hundred million dollar mark really understand their place in the world as it relates to their responsibility. I'm not saying that they're not looking for an extra zero too. Many of them are, but it becomes sort of a showstopper at that point where people are like, okay, I can afford everything for everything I want and everyone who I love for the rest of my life. And I can afford to have my own family office. But at the end of the day, how do I want my kids and my grandkids to speak of me of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, you used the word family office there, and I know you talk quite a bit about that in the book. So tell us what, yes. what do you mean by that term? What is that? These are families who have their own investment offices. They're, they're the ones who are worth over $100 million in you know, investable assets. And it is their job or, you know, it is their, you know, they have all of this money set aside to invest into other things. Elon Musk has one, you know, Peter Thiel has one, he runs one, uh, he has several of them. But when you look at it, these investors all have one thing in common is that they're still cognizant, they're still very um, involved in what they do on a day-to-day basis, but a lot of the money that they have um, is, and, and the proceeds are, are um, basically replaced into assets. and. At a different level, besides those guys who are technology guys, you have to think there's a brand name out there called Zara. And Armancio Ortega, who owns that, is worth a staggering $86 billion. And he buys, uh, he has his own family office, and he buys about $1.3 billion in cash per year in what we call statement class or class A real estate. And that really, I think, you know, that's really what a family is, is that they invest on behalf for themselves and the benefit of, you know, that serves the generations of the families to come for years to, you know, generate future generations of families to come and sort of substantiates what we call their impact statement going forward too as well. Hmm. Hmm. And so tell me a little bit about how does your business fit into this? So obviously you work with, with these people. Um, what, what's your role in that whole big picture? You know, we're, we're both investment managers and advisors, so we control the capital that goes into these assets. And a lot of these families uh, look to us for the leadership or diligence and sourcing to be able to put them into these world-class assets. And when we invest into these companies, whether it's life sciences or technology or whatever, 
it's really based off of the network and the reputation that we have. And in order to do that, we've had to do what we said we were going to do for many years. And in order to get the choice assets that you really want to get to, that a lot of people don't get to because they don't have that reputation, usually are these companies that follow three, two rules, actually. Number one, they have founders that have had a lot of exits, a lot of IPOs, a lot of mergers, whatever. They've taken a company public. They've not started companies. They sold them. And that's the most important part. The second thing is, is that they're led by very wealthy institutions or family offices. These are families that, you know, might have been life science companies and they move into life science companies. But what the most important part is, is that you don't want someone that's not in that industry to be leading an investment in that industry. For example, you don't want a real estate family leading a life science family because that just doesn't you know, make sense. There's two different cores and two different philosophies there and, and skill sets, to be frank. So we look for that. And that's the reason why we've had a lot of tremendous success in companies like Thrive Bioscience, Genius Biotechnology. Um, we've, you know, some companies we've invested into, two of them have been started by the 2018 Nobel Prize winner uh, or Nobel Prize laureate for physiology and medicine, Dr. James Allison. So these are what our families gravitate towards. They don't really gravitate towards first time founders. They feel as though it's like tuition and it's not something that they want to get into. And it's, you know, Shark Tank originated in America. I'm sure there's a version down where you are, Mm. but that is not anything we would ever get involved in. We only want sort of higher barrier to entry businesses like, you know, some forms of technology, mostly life sciences, where you have pedigreed founders who have had multiple exits and are have investments that are led by in-kind families. Hmm. Hmm. So we're looking for proven track record. Absolutely. We bet on the we bet on the jockeys, not the ponies. <laughs> yeah, I love the metaphor. All right. Um, True, you mentioned yeah. something there that I think um, I'd like to explore some more, and that's um, the network that you have. And I know you talk yeah. quite a bit in the book about building that network and how important it is. So talk to us a yeah. little bit more about, first of all, how did you kind of build the network that you have around you? How do you sustain that network? How do you um, leverage that then to um, get into or to to facilitate those introductions that you mentioned? Yeah, those are um, very open-ended questions, but I'll try to be very narrow about it as possible. These are uh, families that I've known for many years since leaving Goldman Sachs are mostly real estate families, and they all know people. And if you have a reputation and a track record, success begets success. So other people naturally want to come on. About 20 years later, since leaving there, we still have a lot of the families that I've worked with. And it's all about the networking. And if you have a good network, you're going to find the best deals. And especially if you are working in an industry such as engineering, you know nothing about venture capital or the buy side or private equity. So any opportunities you're seeing are really coming from your friends. And we saw this during the pandemic where a lot of people who are doctors here in America and, um, you know, other types of investors who are not sophisticated, they went head into other things such as um, Bitcoin and um, NFTs and other things, because that's all their network knew. Their network did not know Class A real estate in Miami or New York or Las Vegas, for that matter, or Southern California. What they knew is what was only available to them in their network, and they thought that that was great. And so when you have a network, especially as you're a professional investor, a wealthy professional investor, you have to invest in your networks. Otherwise, you are, you will waste a lot of time and money trying to invest into things that probably don't make sense. Hmm. So investing in the network, um, is that 
Are you talking financially here, or or talk to us a little bit more both, about that? Both, both. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, in my book, Investing Legacy, I profile a family that, you know, traveled the world 220 days a year. Um, is that expensive? Of course it is. Does it take a lot mm. of time? Of course. Is he a very powerful, persuasive, and influential person? Of course he is. And so that's the price you pay for it. And I think with a lot of you know LinkedIn and other apps today that you see today. And especially with the advent of Bitcoin, you've seen a lot of people who have, um, they become more transactional rather than relational, Jurgen. Does that make mm. sense? And so yeah. that really is not anything that anybody really wants, you know, of any significant worth really wants to deal with. If somebody's chasing you and they're very wealthy over a deal, kind of, it, it, it sort of sends off sort of a vibe that they don't really know what's going on. For me, um, the network is important. And I moved to Miami, cognizant, you know, I made the cognizant decision to move down here because you have a lot of Latam's family down here from Latin America. You have the continental Europeans. And of course, also you have the New Yorkers too. And that's really brought a lot of um, opportunity for us to be able to invest into better opportunities. Some things, for example, are, uh, you know, a UK football team that we'll be doing or, you know, some other industrial logistics um, opportunity here in the States. Hmm. Hmm. So the example you mentioned about traveling the world, that that's um, to really have those personal interactions as opposed to just comments on LinkedIn. As you, as you Yeah, I mean, anybody can, you know, I get approached on LinkedIn probably 20 times a day to invest in things <laughs> I would never invest into, right? I mean, yeah. it's easy, but um, we still are humans and humans still have serotonin and they still like to meet other people and you know and, and get to know those people i can tell you nobody's going to write a check in any company without spending their time with you first and every due diligence meeting you might have spent a lot of time on zooms but if you're yale if you're meeting with like an endowment or a family before they write a check you know you're flying to that city to meet them and they want to see you who you are what you look like how you operate because there's a lot more there that you know that you can learn um in the you know, the body language of someone rather than um, seeing how they work, maybe, you know, on a, on a digital one dimensional type of mm. um, environment. Yeah. And I think there's a big lesson in that. Um, one of the things that I talk about quite a bit in the in marketing world is making marketing more human. And it's very much about what you've just said there is that nobody's going to buy your product sight unseen. Um, unless it happens to be a perfect match and it's relatively low cost, but nobody's going to buy a high ticket item and um, unless they've had a chance to build a relationship first and it's um, very much in parallel with what you've just said in the investing yeah. world. One of the rules I say is that nobody's going to invest with you until they spend their time with you first. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah, yeah spend the time with you first to get to know you before they spend the money. All right. Um, so coming back to um, raising capital, so turning it on its head, I guess, um, some of these innovative companies uh, are on the other side of what we've been talking about, I guess. Um, right, right, they're looking for capital. They're looking yeah. for people to invest and help support them take an idea to become reality that they can then make a difference in the world with with that 
product or service, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. What are some of the key things that they need to be aware of to, um, I mean, Who are we've they? talked a lot about networking. The investors but, yeah. or the companies? The companies, the companies that are looking to raise capital to fund an idea or fund a product. They got to tell a story. Um, you know, if you think about it, everybody can remember the the plot line to the Star Wars trilogy, but nobody can remember their basic, you know, biometrics. Nobody knows that. Mm. Nobody remembers anything as it relates to numbers or data. And I think it's largely as a result of social media and, you know, figures being shoved down our throat all the time. What really happens is that people really will understand a story. And if you have a good, compelling story, that's going to be able to hook someone's attention to be able to build that relationship to move further. I think too many people come in and they they see a rich investor and institution and, you know, they start immediately pitching them. They're like like they're looking for marriage on the first date and they don't bother to build a relationship. And it's kind of creepy when you think about it. Right. Mm. Is that nobody wants to commit to anything long term without having some sort of an understanding of what's going on. And I would tell everybody that you should really befriend your investors and treat them like they you were courting them for marriage because at the end of the day it is marriage if somebody's going to write a check for you that's a big deal and that's going to be a long-term relationship don't treat it as transactional because if your investors feel as though just psychologically or intrinsically that you're doing anything as it relates to maybe being treating them like a transaction or something uh like an atm that's not what you want and you're going to you're not you're going to have a very difficult time doing this because nobody needs to invest in your company there are more companies out there to invest into it feels like than there are grains of sand in the world honestly and i you know there's so many opportunities out there why do they need to pick you be different and that's the most important part mm-hmm. so tell a compelling story um, and really focus on the relationship there that comes in again there that clear message Thank you very much. Yes. No. And it's it's interesting because a lot of people and when I moved to Miami, Jurgen, and I think we spoke about this before, is that a lot of people just, you know, they, they would come up to you and, and it, it's I mean, it, it, I mean, I you wouldn't you would not treat your future spouse this way. Right. Like all of this <laughs> coming in, you know, it's like the equivalent of like hitting him over the head with a hammer, knocking him unconscious and then bringing him to the altar. Like that's what these guys yeah, yeah, think. Yeah. Or the worst part is that they have such an ego that they don't think they need to explain anything. And, you know, they're so smart. You should just, you know, you should just invest in them because you assume that they're so smart. And that is not really anything that really um, makes people feel very warm and cozy, especially right now when we're going into a recessionary environment. It's become much more difficult to raise capital as a result of higher interest rates, Silicon Valley Bank exploding, um, and some companies going under. But those who are good at raising capital, and it should be, if you're a founder or if you're in real estate, you should be spending at least 50% of your time talking to existing or current investors, then you're fine. You're off to the races. But for those founders who are not raising capital and think they don't need to until they you know, surface up from the lab every six months to see daylight to talk mm-hmm. to an investor because they need money, that's not really a good plan and that's not really credible. Mm-hmm. So cultivate those relationships and have a good story. So And grow them something- and grow them. And grow them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Grow the relationships. Have you got a good case study of of something that that you can share with us? You know, you would like this. Um, So we made an investment into a company called AI Scout. And it's not a 
life science company, but I'll tell you what we did because your founders were really like this. And it was during August a year ago, and we were behind a very big family office, and there was a million dollars left over for someone to get involved in this round. And everything checked out correctly, and we loved it. And today, this investment is one of our top investments. But we almost didn't make the investment. And the reason is, is because it was very prohibitively difficult during August to get any investor worth their salt to pick up the phone. They're all over in Italy. They're all in the Hamptons. They're all you know, in the Northeast somewhere in New England. Uh, maybe they're traveling to Australia, for example. And so there was some political dynamics that happened that's very interesting, but there's a lesson to be learned here. And that lesson to be learned is, is that I had to come up with a, with a giveaway or a gift for the investors to pay attention to me in order to write the check. And the minimum investment for this was $100,000 in the U.S. What I did was, and I don't know if you remember this, but there was um, there's a football club in London called Chelsea. And Chelsea hmm. you recently switched hands. It was Abramovich, the oligarch yeah. in Russia who owned it, and then Todd Bowie bought it. And what happened was is that I called the CEO and I said, look, if you could, now that Todd Bowie bought this and he's a big investor into AI Scout, could you please see if you can get autographed jerseys by the entire team for each individual investor who comes into AI Scout? That put everything over the edge and that got everybody's attention. And when you're raising money, what you want to do, especially as you're an entrepreneur, is that it is your job to get their attention. Attention is the new oil today. Um, people pay a lot for it because it's worth a lot. It's worth actually more than oil. Maybe that not, might not be the case given the current geopolitical circumstances. But for now, people on Instagram are making a lot of money who have a lot of attention and a lot of followers. And that's really not going to change. That sort of goes into human nature. But I, I would say if you're a founder, do not hide you know, behind a spreadsheet. Nobody with a spreadsheet ever got a, um, you know, a, a, a monument you know, <laughs> erected for them. Uh, nobody with a, you know, nobody with a, you know, no committee ever had a monument erected to them. So you have to be the person that's always out there being the showman. And that's a skill that you need to, to learn is how to interact with people. You could be very intelligent and be very credentialed and have the best degrees and, and you know, a, a Nobel Prize. However, even the Nobel Prize winners I know uh, are very good at salesmanship and commanding the attention of people um, and, and keeping them compelling by being able to tell a story in a way that people can, you know, attach themselves to or step into, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and I love that uh, case study. I love the example. One of the things that it also highlights is that uh, you need to be innovative in the idea of how you capture that attention, for example, yeah. you know, what what... What gift do you bring to people that are already uh, net worth uh, hundreds of millions of dollars individuals? Or what Something they're not you... going to get. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I love the attention is the new oil. Um, I think I, somebody said recently on an episode, it, it's, we're in the attention economy. And I think it's, that's again, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Sure. Goes across, yeah, it goes across not just um, getting attention for from investors to fund a company. It's it's right across the board, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's anything you do. If anything you do as an entrepreneur, you need to have attention. Hmm. Excellent. Well, this is a fascinating conversation, Sal. I think it's a, a good time now, though, to move on to the buzz, our lightning round, where yes. I ask the same. 
Same five questions of every guest. And okay. the idea, of course, is that you'll inspire the listener to go and do something awesome today as a result sure. of your answers. So what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? That's a good question. I think innovation comes from, if you really want to know, I think innovation comes from suppressing the ego and listening to other people who are not like you. And I would not be where I am today in life sciences if it wasn't for me doing the same, because I was sort of backed into a corner in 2013 where interest rates were going down, real estate values were going up, and a lot of investors felt as though that they were being um, mispriced out of the market. They didn't want to overpay. And if you look at what's going on in the United States today, it was a good call on my part. But it wasn't for someone telling me, Sal, you need to pay attention to your investors and, and maybe you can help them by the person by the name of Fred Nazem, who's had 69 exits under his belt. He's about 80 years old. I hope he doesn't mind me telling you that, but we've invested in his company and he's been a great mentor to me. I don't think I would be here today, to be honest with you. Hmm. Hmm. So, um, yeah, set aside your ego and listen to, listen to good advice. Absolutely. Yes. Hmm. Wonderful. All right. Now what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Uh, that's a great question. I work out every morning and when I'm on the uh, treadmill or when I'm listening to a podcast, what I always do is I keep a notebook handy. Now it's on my iPhone. I use, um, you know, the notes app, but that's how I come up with fresh ideas. And what I do is I always make sure that I have a clear head and I like doing that in the morning and I bucket out the time when I'm at the gym to be able to put together ideas. And really the ideas come not from like building something, but You'll, be, you'll think this is nuts, but it actually has a huge repercussion in it, is networking other people with other people in kind. Like, hey, we just made an investment with this guy, Jurgen. You'll like him. He's really into life sciences. Um, he's very smart. He could be probably someone who could be an advisor on your team. You two meet. And that adds a tremendous amount of impact more than you know. Over time, it mm. compounds. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I love um, the exercise routine. I think there's something about exercise or kind of physically getting away from the actual work that kind of then comes back and rewards the work. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it is. But it's also a time for you to step away from concentrating on the work. And, you know, sometimes I'll get these same thoughts, you know, at night before I go to bed and I'll just type them into mm. my iPhone, you know, as an email and send it to myself and, you know, and worry about it later. Um, at least they know that I'm not going to forget about it. So to me, it's idea yeah. generation, but also making sure that those ideas are implemented meaningfully. Not every idea, but, you know, also prioritizing the yeah. ideas to make sure that, you know, you're using your time to your highest and best use. Absolutely. All right. Well, you've mentioned uh, the iPhone and the Notes app a couple of times. Is that your favorite mm -hmm. resource or, or do you want to mention another one? That's the favorite resource that I'm using for now. I love I love using Evernote. Um, Evernote is, is great for me because I can not only use articles, but I can also plan out things and I can just use it really to just throw a lot of ideas into something and store it without having to worry about it. I'm writing my fourth mm. book right now on commercial real estate. That was my background, of course, um, on wall street. And so, um, when I have ideas or something that come up, I, I love using Evernote. It's a great way to communicate. Um, you know, my ideas and, you know, if I want to bring someone in too, you can also share, but Evernote is yeah. great if you want to build anything um, and have a repository of ideas. I, I like to use that. 
Hmm. Yeah, I haven't used Evernote for a while. I used to be a long-time user of it. Um, is are they making use of artificial intelligence um, mm -hmm. in there now as well? Uh, we like using AI. Um, the only thing we use AI for is right now, like proofreading emails and you know enhancing hmm. communications and everything. But it's also really good too because it allows us to do some uh, research on things that we never probably would have, would, would have been able to do before prior. And that just opens up an entire different world of diligence and, and networking. I think AI has a very pragmatic use. I think it's just something that's gonna continue to grow. It's also in its infancy too as well. And I think that there's a little bit of overvalue in the, in the circuit and the, you know, right now, anybody can say, hey, I'm starting, you know, you're a good yeah, AI, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, like, you, know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, well, what does that mean? It doesn't matter, you know, it has AI. It. Yeah, so, yeah. but you know we're, we're we're you know we're looking at that industry we made one investment as i said in a company called ai scout or ai.io um, which is going to be it's very popular right now around the world it'll be even more popular in cricket and other sports too in the, in the united states um, but as far as using ai right now we just use it as a proofreader <laughs> mm. you know you know to, yeah. to you know for stuff but we we are constantly learning i think it's something as it relates to ai it's a skill set everybody needs to learn at some point um if you are you know a, if, whatever you're doing in life you need to understand mm. what ai is because it's a I think it's going to become just as important as using anything like email or word or yeah. um you know yeah. maybe you know yeah, so, anything else so like that What's happening right now kind of reminds me of the very early days of the internet. It's, uh, oh yeah, I'm getting oh, yeah. the very yeah. same feeling there, and um, the the what you've just said of you better better start understanding what's happening and learning how to use it. Oh yeah, otherwise you get left behind. Oh, I buy mm. all sorts of courses and stuff, and I learn and you know everything, and you have to say thank you and please and the prompt and all that, otherwise you know you're overlords. <laughs> yeah. Might you know? And it's true. People are like, you got to be kidding me. Like, oh, absolutely. Nope. Like, nope. You got to do that. So it's yeah, uh, absolutely. It's a, it's I a new world. I say well, know. yeah. I say <laughs> okay. It is a machine, but you know you can actually practice being kind. And I've been blown away by some of the responses. I I once went back and it it gave me some information that just blew me away and I was so excited by it that I went I typed back in um, thank you for all that information this is just awesome and I finished off by saying I I appreciate you and and the response the response just you, know, you could have blown me over with a feather the response was, um, thank you. I'm glad I could help. Um, if you have any future needs or whatever the standard kind of thing is, if you have any future needs, come back to me again. And then it said, um, I appreciate, uh, I value your appreciation or something like that. And I thought, Ooh. wow, that's, that's almost, that's Ooh. almost, uh, you see, that's where AI, when, yeah, it's empathy, right? Look at yeah. that. <laughs> Once it starts getting empathetic, then you don't know anymore, right? I mean, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. you know, then humanity will cease to reproduce at that point. But that's, you know, <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, you know, that's we're probably about 10 years away from that. But it looks like it's going that way. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, coming back on track for the buzz round, what's the best way to keep a client on track? Always communicate with them. Always, you know, whether it's mm. like, you know, you know what they like, build a relationship with them like they're like you're courting them for marriage, really. Send them memes. If you know they're into like, 
you know, dirty memes or something, send them a dirty meme, you know, like forward them, you know, but become relate, become friendly with them and treat them like you really want to be friends because those investors will be the best friends you'll ever be. I'll tell you the mm. best relationships I've had in life, to be honest with you, are the people who I rode with in college, right? Um, eight guys in a boat. And then the other thing was the, um, you know, the people who were investors who later became friends, you know, and that, that, that is very powerful. And people should not underestimate that at all. They should treat their, their investors like family because you are implicitly married to them. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very important point there. And it's, mm -hmm. it really is all about those human connections, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And pa after the pandemic, you're again, a lot of people are craving that there's a, there's a loneliness hmm. pandemic in the, uh, in the States. I'm sure it's worldwide. Um, but you know, the more that you reach out to people, the more appreciation they'll give you. Um, and that's really where the real, you know, the real opportunity is. Hmm. Excellent. And final question of the buzz round, the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves. Send out emails once a week yeah. to your investors, really send out an email, invest in something like MailChimp or something. And just differentiate yourself by communicating to people what's going on in your business. Invite them to be a part of the story, like they're being a part of the Star Wars trilogy. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. So it, it, it's you've combined a whole bunch of things there that that we've talked about throughout the whole episode. You combined mm -hmm. the the building the relationship, the constant yeah. communications, the telling a good story, and relating it back to that um, hero's journey in Star Wars. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it mm. is. Think about it. Everybody will remember the email you sent or, you know, and people come up to me like, oh, you sent an email a year ago. I'm like, I forgot I even said that. But yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. they do. They want to be a part of that. People want that human connection. They want interactivity is the new currency. And I'll leave it at that, Jurgen. Hmm. Excellent. Well, this has uh, been fabulous, Sal. Thanks. Now, where can people find out more about the work you do, find out more about you and maybe even reach out and say thanks for what you've shared today? You know, they can go to salvatorebuscemi.com um, if they want to. Uh, there's a newsletter there where we can onboard you if you click at the bottom of the page. But if you also want to send an email to me too and you want to be onboarded or, you know, you want to connect with me, I can onboard you under our family office by um, going to, you can send an email to sal at hrn.llc. That's S-A-L at hrn, Harlem River Navy dot L-L-C. And if I get your email... You know, I'll reply to you and I'll make sure that you're onboarded and maybe you might get a free copy of my book. Excellent. All right. And of course, right. we'll have those links in the show notes to, to make it. it easy for people to click through. So, so what action would you like our listener to take out of our conversation today? I'd like them to go out there and be a little more proactive talking to investors and meeting investors and talking to them, especially if they're founders. Um, by building relationships with them, genuine, you know, genuine relationships, coffee, you know, staying up with them, uh, hanging out with them, not necessarily doing what they do, but also like becoming a voice and a brand of yourself where you're able to talk to investors one on one, but maybe through like email. And if you start learning how to communicate with people through email or text, you're going to see that's going to be a lot easier to raise money. Mm, excellent. And, and I, you mentioned a couple of things there that I think would be fabulous first steps. So reach out to somebody, send them an email, invite them to a coffee, have a conversation, and then go back to something you said earlier, forget your ego and just listen and get some input. Yep, that's true. 
Trust me, it took me a long time to learn that one, Jurgen, but it paid off. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, that's been a great lesson today. And thanks so much for sharing a lot of other lessons and great stories and your insights with us so generously, Sal. I've really enjoyed the conversation. All the best for the future and let's stay in touch. Likewise. Thank you, Jurgen. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash Flyworld and secure your membership to the exclusive Flyworld Nation community where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests, engaging meaningful conversations and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywell Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from Innova Biz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.